Are you ready? I'm so ready. I'm ready too. Hey, now, let's introduce everybody to the Soybean Pest Podcast. It's Friday the 13th. Dun, 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 dun. And it's our 13th episode Is it of the re- season. Oh Is that a coinky dink? That's amazing. I hope we're not going to have some bad luck. So this is season eight, yeah. episode 13. Hi, everyone. I'm Erin. I'm Matt. Thanks for listening. Yeah. I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, feeling a little weird this time because this is the second time with the new microphones. Our new setup, yeah. Yeah. And so... Yeti squared. We got some feedback. They you could know what hear. I heard? What'd you hear? I heard you sounded good. Yeah. I sounded too soft. We oh. went the opposite direction. So pump you up. Try to keep the volume up on my end. You just keep it real. Keep it how it was, and (laughs) hopefully we're going to sound the same one these days. Keep it in check. Yep. Okay. This is great. Hey, we got a bunch to talk about. So much. Yeah. Too much. I was thinking the uh, title for today's episode should be um, two entomologists walk into a presidential search. I've heard from a number of people outside Iowa State that, are you really interviewing two entomologists? Yeah, yeah. isn't that incredible? So we for make the, good leaders. What's that? We make good leaders, yeah. and we tend to get those higher administrative positions. Because <laughs> there's nothing else for us to do. Yeah, because we just <laughs> solved all the problems. Yeah. yeah, this is a remarkable thing. And to our listener, um, we are in the process here at Iowa State of selecting a new president. And the process has led to four candidates and two of which are and i think this is remarkable have phds in entomology one of them is our current dean of the college of ag and life sciences and colleague here in the department of entomology wendy winterstein got her phd here at iowa state university in entomology and then the second entomologist who was also the first candidate listed in the um, process was sunny ramaswamy who is an entomologist as well and is currently at the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C., but has had a remarkable career spanning a bunch of different locations. Not that Wendy Winterstein hasn't, but just that... He's a big dog. You know what? At this point, they're all big dogs. Yeah. They're all uh, remarkable people who have had remarkable careers. I just wanted to note that um, two out of four entomologists, not bad. Not bad. Pretty good. So I've had this theory for a while that, and, and you you said as much that entomologists tend to find themselves in leadership positions, or at least in administrative positions, and I don't think that's an accident. There we are tend to be like highly organized, like we know how to work well with others, maybe more than some disciplines. We just seem like pretty logical, right? We're we could, linear thinkers. <laughs> Oh, you don't think so? <laughs> no, I was just thinking, I wonder if we could say that in a way that didn't diss oh, other didn't disciplines. So. I didn't yeah. make uh, every other biological. Yeah. Mm, sorry about that. Yeah, ornithologists, saying, like, not good are, at being leaders. <laughs> it's not that they're not organized, it's just we're hyper-organized. Mm. Yeah, I, um, sorry, I didn't mean to offend. Yeah, yeah. It, it's hard, isn't it, to no, have this conversation without um, yeah, cats, cats out of the bag? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of... Uh, there are entomologists in leadership positions across the Midwest at uh, land grant universities and in um, industry. And I, my sense is, I, I don't have any stats on this, but my sense is that we're overrepresented mm. for the the 
for the discipline because entomology departments are not big departments compared to other disciplines, especially in colleges of agriculture, even life sciences. And I think there's something about the discipline, especially applied entomology, that leads to people being selected for administrative slash leadership roles. And some of it, yeah, there's the organizational thing, but there's also sort of the big picture in the sense that insects are only one part of the pest problems that farmers face. And we're often second or third. And sometimes we're first, but you know, in terms of the priorities that are facing a farmer. And that means that we've got to kind of be able to think, you know, in a systems approach to getting our message out. You know, and and I think that is helpful when you're trying to provide leadership. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I said we often work in teams and we're collaborative, so I think I just said it in a different way than you. But yes, I totally agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> Did I just mansplain? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I thought, you know. And, and I would, that's generous to say we're maybe like one or two. I would say entomology, top ten problems a farmer has is maybe a bug problem. Really? We're way down on the list. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if that's yeah. what you meant. Yeah, that, yeah, no, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I mean. Maybe in, top ten maybe top 10 we come into it yeah yeah but even when we're a problem that a farmer is facing immediately it's not the only problem they have at that time like when a farmer's thinking about say spraying for insecticide for soybean aphids it's that and do i have a problem with weeds do i have a problem with diseases you know what are we getting enough degree days is there enough rain Mm -hmm. and some of those things they can manage some of them they can't and so do you think that part of the success that many endopologists have is due in part to maybe organizations like ESA where we have a lot of chances to develop leadership within our professional society you know lots of chances to help with committees um, different kinds of roles within the society I don't know if that's as prevalent as it is or I don't know if other societies have that much structure Mm. and stuff where we're involved with our society, either at the branch level or at the national level, we have a lot of chances to be interactive, and so it gives you kind of that experience that then, okay, maybe I can take on something in my department or college or university. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's unique to entomology. I mean, do you think plant pathologists don't have that opportunity? I just don't hear about them organizing, like, local arrangements, being on the program. Mm. I, you know, that like, like, we seem to be, like, really active, and I know... President Susan Weller commented that, you know, whenever we have a national meeting, of course, there's lots of volunteers, but there's like hundreds and hundreds of volunteers that make a meeting run. And I know David Gamble said the same thing. Like, um, we David Gamble for our the ESA executive director right. that um, we like to help and we like to serve our society. And there's just a lot of us that are doing things that from judging a student competition all the way up to you know, serving as local arrangements for something. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think we have the, we get the chance, even as students, you know, uh, can, if they want to, they can have the chance to have some leadership or activity roles, and it helps with future, like building your CV and giving you yeah. bigger chances. Yeah. Not, I, clearly, the, I, I agree with you. And, and I think that's pretty clear to people who participate in the Entomological Society of America, that early on you can see opportunities mm-hmm. to help out participate and then they move you through 
an organization to where you eventually get to be in a leadership position. Mm-hmm. I know I was um, an, um, served on the Student Affairs Committee when I was a graduate student and then became chair for the branch and the national chair. And yep. it's a, I mean, it's a minor point. You know, it didn't amount to much, but I was aware of larger organizational issues and that that was that was helpful mm-hmm. and I, yeah but again i don't know if that's unique to entomology okay. but i think you're right that our organization does it emphasizes that the other thing i, I in getting back to the, the whole just the nature of the discipline um it's often my sense is it's often secondary to other things that there are a hardcore group of people who just are, feel passionately about insects true entomologists and then there's, I think, people like me who find insects really interesting, but find the interest in how they interact with other things, like crop production or, you know, aspects of ecology that you, you know, might have an interest in as model systems for genetics or, you know, physiology or yeah. hormones. And, you know, all of that is... Um, is helpful if you start thinking about well if my my thing that i'm interested in is not important to everybody i've got to make a case for it and i've got to think about i have to have a little bit of empathy for you know explaining why i'm studying insects to somebody for whom insects are like you said not even in the top 10 of mm-hmm. what they're thinking about yeah i totally agree with you um i kind of feel the same way that you do um i use insects as a model to help understand agriculture mm-hmm. and try to help people in agriculture and could I have been just as happy working in plant pathology maybe you know and yeah. in a different yeah. way but uh, kind of same circle different topic maybe and if you and, the, and then the I'm other tell them that though tell the, the plant pathologist yeah no <laughs> well the other thing and this is this is a little bit out there a little bit of a wacky idea but in terms of why you see again disproportionate amount of entomologist in leadership roles or administrative roles is, I think in order to be a good leader, administrator, you have to have a level of empathy. Mm-hmm. And if you can empathize with something that is so foreign to you, your chances are you've developed that skill to a point where, you know, you're going to take advantage of it. So insects are incredibly foreign to humans. They're, you know, one, they're small than us. Two, they have a very, very different body shape and plan exoskeleton uh, dorsal ventral organization flipped and they just they lack a face they're not like mammals that you can kind of relate to there's no hair there's no cute cute i mean there's a cuteness that requires uh you anthropomorphizing finding human things in something that is clearly not and it that takes effort you know and that's that's i think that's empathy and I don't know. You, that was deep. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a little and it's a little out there, but um, hey, we're having a conversation. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm an entomologist. So that was our first thing, and you can find more information about the candidates maybe by next week. No, by the end of the month. I think they want to make a decision make very it. soon. Yeah, and no disrespect to the other two candidates that were part of the process. Thank them all for coming, Pamela Witten and Dale Whitaker. But, hey, it's out of our hands. We'll know hopefully by the end of the month. Yeah, 50% chance it's going to be a bug person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. (laughs) Um, Topic number two. Yeah. 
the fun insect trivia. Yeah. All right, you ready for this one? All right, fun insect trivia for this week. So this, uh, you might have already seen this. And for listeners, listener at home, don't uh, Google this. See if you can pull this out of your noggin. Probably not. Recently, there was a new insect species named for a character in Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. in the Harry Potter world and books. Mm -hmm. Um, Name the Harry Potter character that uh, this insect was named after. Hufflepuff? (laughs) Slytherin? Let's just say I may not be the biggest fan. So um, there was a stick involved and some gold catching. I don't know. <laughs> There's a ring. <laughs> There's a okay. There's a ring and a throne and oh, ravens. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah, that's and then, about how much I know about yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> Going through a suitcase or something. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> An watch ice the queen. You yeah. didn't read the books. Yeah. Sorry. I'm like the one person in the world. Wow. Who has a, a wow. Usually there's one. One uh, fantasy world that people glob onto, mm-hmm. like it's they're a Star Trek person or a Star Wars person or a, a Lord of the Rings or Middle Earth, and you none of it. Well, you know, surface. Surface. Uh, on the surface, I I kind of know like Star Wars, Star Trek. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, I'm that. a little bit deficient on the Game of Thrones, uh, World of Warcraft, Hogwarts uh. thing. Sorry, I don't know the names of people except for Harry. Harry, all right. So and the redheaded boy. Sorry, I don't know his name. The boy who lived. <laughs> I That's don't know Harry. if yeah. he lived or not. Oh. <laughs> Weasley. Ron. Ron Weasley. Ron Weasley. <sighs> well, okay. right. so sorry, I'm not going to know the answer. So, well, to our listener, uh, do you have a guess? Huh? Huh? All right. So it was um, it was named after Lucius Malfoy. Yeah, yeah, it sounds evil, but this is the interesting thing about it. So Lucius Malfoy is father to Draco Malfoy, who's like the anti-Harry. Now, I know, please don't send me emails and letters saying how, actually, Draco is kind of a good kid. He was just, you know, put in an awkward situation. I know, I read the books, I, I'm, I'm there with you. But but it was, um, but he was the uh, the boy who was part of Slytherin, which is kind of the, the, the evil house. It's uh, Voldemort's house, right? Harry was. Supposed to say his name. See, you know enough. But anyway, um, what's interesting about why the uh, discoverer of this wasp um, in New Zealand, Tom Saunders, uh, picked Lucius Malfoy is because he deliberately picked somebody who is perceived as a villain or a bad guy, but in truth is actually helpful and not so bad. Okay. And so Lucius Malfoy, father of Draco, is depicted as an evil figure, but uh, he eventually turns on Lord Voldemort. He is just trying to protect his family. Mm. He's like us. He's just trying to get through the world. That's some butterbeer. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Lucius was a big fan oh. of the butterbeer. But anyway, the point is, in the end, he was pardoned for his crimes because mm. he defected from Voldemort's army. And uh, Saunders made the case that you know people see wasps as kind of mean and yeah. evil. They're scared, they're, yeah. When in fact, most wasps either do nothing to affect people or are actually beneficial. Mm-hmm. And this wasp, this tiny little wasp, um, is 
It's described as non-stinging, but I suspect that it's a parasitoid wasp given its appearance. You can look for it on uh, CNN. Lucius Malfoyi. That's the name. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that's uh, that's our fun insect trivia for it. today. Cool. Yeah. So, number three. This is more business. Well, I was fall just wondering if you invaders. happen to see more, more fall nuisance invaders around the insectary, around your home, more than usual. I just I, got done talking about how insects, you know, are perceived as evil, <laughs> but really actually good. Yeah. And now we're going straight into the heart of Slytherin. We're going into Mordor. Well, we're, I, it's funny that you say that because the... The invaders that I'm seeing in the insectary and around the house are predatory. So yeah. they're perceived as a nuisance, but yeah. in their you know in their day to day job, they're predators. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that these are nuisance now at this point yeah. in time. I, I was out. Yeah, I, I I do feel I do see more of them now this time of year than I have in a long time. Mm-hmm. So what are you seeing? I'm seeing. Uh, so I was out raking the leaves. Yeah, Elaine, I was raking the leaves. Saturday afternoon, last Saturday, and um, our house, the side of our house was covered in Harmonia. Mm-hmm. Multicolored Asian lady beetle. Yep. And a ton of those little aureus insidiosis. Minute paraphos. Yep. And anything else? Well, those are the two that I saw. Mm-hmm. You've seen something else? For the first time since living in Ames since 2009, Here it comes. I'm seeing a ton of brown lacewings. Oh, in, yes! In addition yes. to the pirate bugs yes. and yes. lady beetles. Yes. And I just wonder if you'd see yes. that. And now, I, I rarely mm-hmm. see them in like mm-hmm. agriculture. Mm-hmm. I see mostly the mm-hmm. green ones. This year... Lots of browns. Yeah, unbelievable. I'm What's so, up with that? So, to be fair, I didn't mention those because I, they're not a nuisance. No, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. um, they're considered a nuisance because they're getting all in my house. Oh, oh. Along with the lady beetles oh. and the pirate bugs. All right, all right. Let's break this down. Let's yeah. break this down. Okay. This is good. So, Harmonia uh, Axorites, a little Asian, a little, a little Asian. Multicolored Asian lady beetle. Thank you. Nuisance, it bites. Oh, yeah. That little, it bites. Minute yeah. 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 And I'm out raking the leaves, Elaine, while you're doing whatever, and I'm getting bit. And I was like, I thought it was mosquitoes at first. Yeah. And I'm pulling these lady beetles off, and, I'm, and it's like, what the? It, mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And the minute pirate bugs, I had to go in, change, you know, into a long sleeve shirt. Painful. Painful. Yeah. All right. Um, but those brown lace wings. I, I saw them everywhere. They don't. I, no. I've never experienced them biting. No. And to be fair, I don't really. You know, rarely do they get in my home. Only when, and this is this makes them a little bit different than uh, Harmonia and Aureus. When the lights on in front of my house, I see them flying around mm-hmm. in the evenings, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of unique because those other two are day flyers. Yeah. And the Hemorrhobiids, the brown lacewings, tend to be active into nighttime they tend to respond to that that they're all three in my house right now i'm so so sorry they're getting in and i would consider them i mean they're not like pests but i would consider them nuisance at this time of the year yeah but i'm used to the minute pirate bugs and lady beetles getting in but i haven't seen brown lacewings before so So what is it i I, i've been thinking about this because um i did notice them a lot and so hemorrhobiids the brown lacewings the adults kind of come out are active in the fall and it's in the Midwest and it's always kind of been that way. I remember um, seeing that when we were doing our insect collections uh, back in grad school 
I was, you could get that family, yeah. <laughs> you know, come okay. October. Um, so do they overwinter as adults? I think so, in like leaf litter and, and stuff. But um, unlike green lace wings that I think are multi-generational, I don't think the hemorrhoids are. I think we just get kind of okay. maybe one or two generations and that overwintering shows up. But th- that just explains the timing. Mm-hmm. That doesn't explain the abundance. I mean, this has been remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I suspect two things. Well, one, the abundance of Harmonia and Aureus have been remarkable, too. Um, And those, I kind of think, are a function of we have had more soybean aphids this year than what we really appreciated. They may not have reached economic levels, and and there was a, a lot of spraying going on because farmers were noticing it. But I think they were probably more widespread at sort of sub economic levels than what we were aware of. And there's two reasons I think that. Not only because we're seeing predators that typically feed on them showing up in large numbers, but I've seen a lot of um, uh, aphids. Sorry, I didn't go back through the food chain (laughs) of what I was talking about. Um, But I've seen a lot of soybean aphids on buckthorn this fall, a lot. Like, I haven't seen this many in in probably eight years. Mm -hmm. And, again, I think they're tracking those and... And we're, that's why we're seeing them. But brown, I don't see brown. I've never seen a brown lacewing in a soybean field. Oh, I, I do. You do? I see, uh, yes, but it's a small percentage, you know, of the proportion of green to browns. Yeah. I think I almost always see browns, but it's... You, like, wait, you think you always see browns yeah. in soybean fields? Yeah. Oh, like interesting. Maybe one I, out of 20 lacewings would be a brown one. One out of, yeah. I so, mean, it's, they're there, really but low, low proportions, right, but right. I would see them, but I, I guess I don't normally see them... You know, uh, in the fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside of soybean. Yeah, I see them in the fall. I, I rarely see them in soybeans, um, which is kind of consistent with what you're saying. But the the one thing I think, and this is just a hypothesis, is I have seen this summer and fall um, a lot of um, aphids on woody trees, woody perennials, yeah. trees, not just buckthorn yeah. and not just soybean aphid, a lot of other aphids. To the point where my car was just coated in honeydew because we park underneath a pin oak. But I've seen that honeydew coming off of trees all over campus to the point where any little area that is covered in a tree canopy is sticky and brown from the honeydew that's been extruded from the aphids on those trees. And aphids make up a big part of any lacewings diet, whether brown or green. And I think this year they had an overabundant buffet to feed from. And now we're seeing the, the outcome of that. So it wasn't just a good year for soybean aphids. I think it was a good year for a lot of aphids. Yeah, yeah even when I just am hanging out in the yard with the dogs, I almost always have alates or winged aphids landing on me. And they're like every color of the rainbow. I, I can't identify them, but I've had fairly small ones, big ones, and they just land on me. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what species you are. But, you know, they keep on trucking. But just a lot yeah. of alates out there. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you said that mm-hmm. about the brown. That is, that is, I think I that is. I see your eyes light up. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you could have seen it out there, guys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> am I that? <laughs> Maybe I am one of those, like, true entomologists. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm learning something about myself. Oh, gosh. So. You know what? Can I give a shout out? Please. Like, if you want to know more detail about a specific insect, say, painted ladies, or uh, closely related arthropod like oh. the brown recluse spider. Oh yeah! I wanted to give a shout out to Not a podcast out of the University of Nebraska called oh, yeah? Arthropod, 
and they have a couple of hosts, including Jonathan Larson and Judy Green. Jody, sorry, Jody Green. And what they do is they'll take an insect and break it down. This is how you identify it. Like they pull the limbs off and break it down. Make it suffer. Not literally, but you know how to identify it. The biology, a little bit ecology, and some of the misconceptions. So it's you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher, but it's a short and sweet podcast. They don't just ramble on and on like some people do. Well, I mean, it's not. Some of them are, you know, like two hours long. Their podcast is usually under 30 minutes like ours. But they really break it down. So if you want to geek out on entomology, I encourage you to listen to Arthropod at Nebraska. Sweet. Mm -hmm. That's very good. Yeah. You know what else we should promote? Yeah. No. But you're going to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I want to promote... Bug Guide. They're yeah. doing a fundraiser right now yeah, to are. help support the infrastructure. If you've never heard of Bug Guide, check it out. How can you listen to this podcast and not? I think like the Venn diagram for people to listen to this podcast and go to Bug Guide mm-hmm. is a big area of overlap. Okay. I hope. Well, I don't know. That's what we're talking I hope, about. Yeah. We don't know who the, the spectrum of our listeners are. Well, <laughs> we know who our one listener is. Um, anyway, they're having a promotion to help fund some of their uh, IT services and infrastructure. Their first goal is to hit 15000 They're very, very close. And so I can put a link on um, our summary, and we'll be able to point you to how to donate. They'll take anything from a buck up you know, to unlimited. Yeah. And so they're doing a fundraiser. Looking right more now. for the unlimited than yeah, the bucks, I mean, but they're not going to discriminate. More zeros, more better, but, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. But you know what they say. What? More money. Yeah, but those are the kind of problems they want. They want problems. Yeah, yeah. That that website is a remarkable resource. John Van Dyke, who what created it, Big leads it. Um, he was showing me some of the usage data, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because like all of the web visitation data for the uni- you know, for College of Ag, they look pretty good, and it makes you know Hort look really good because they get something like tens, of yeah. thousands. John gets. Through bug guide, hundreds of thousands. It just dwarfs. Oh, it's a dr- we're a drop in the bucket compared. I mean, yeah. Iowa State even is a drop in the bucket compared to what bug guide activity. It's millions. And it's, per and it's year. all been on him, yeah. and 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 the members of bug guide, but the the web infrastructure day to day running is on him, and yeah. they need they need if help. You didn't know they have pictures, biology distribution for some species, uh, help with identification. It's a it's an excellent resource. I always go there when I'm like, hey, what I have a picture i'm trying to find out what it is i go there just for comparisons to get me going yeah any other shout outs that's a big one that's a lot of shouting yeah yeah maybe we should stop for today uh next week i am on the road again get to go uh meet with some scientists at um bear crop science okay early in the week and then thursday i'm going to the university of iowa to visit the Ghanaian coffin maker, who is an artist in residence. And I'm going to come back and report for our next podcast next Friday. Okay. On his skull, his, well, they're not sculptures, they're coffins um, that are insect themed. Teaser. Oh, what? Yeah. It's a teaser. Yeah. I'll share insect that. Insect themed, themed coffins. coffins. And then the question is what do you put in an insect coffin? Insect themed coffin. So there's two that he's made. I haven't seen them yet. One is a lightning bug, and the other one is a bee. So what are you picking for yourself? (laughs) 
Yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah, maybe a microphone. <laughs> All right, we're good? Okay. All right, so you can find us if you Google soybean entomology. Aaron is on the Twitter with all her tweets at Aaron W. Hodgson. Email us, please, at O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L, or E-W-H, all ending in at iastate.edu. You can subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Casts, or you could send us a letter. A handwritten postcard would be very nice. Nail mail. That would be sweet. And this is where we cue the outro music and we say we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye. Bye.